I spoke to you yesterday on the uh, why we founded Bob Jones University, formerly Bob Jones College. Now, I'm going to talk to you today on the history and progress of the institution. Now, this message will be a little more routine and a little less inspirational than the message yesterday, but it's an important link in the chain of the discussion. Now, I hope you will listen closely. In 1926, we made up our mind to build a college of a certain type. An institution that would stand unqualifiedly and without apology for the Word of God, and not only for the Word of God, but for an aggressive evangelistic testimony, for old-time Christian philosophy and self-control and self-restraint. And uh, in 1922, we made that decision. In 1923, Bob Jones College was open. In one year, at the time we made up our mind, the plant was built in Florida. Now, that plant uh, uh, down in Florida was quite a modern plant. Uh, we had a lovely girls' dormitory, a nice boys' dormitory, wonderful dining room equipment. Of course, it wasn't large, of it didn't need a large one. And uh, the other buildings were fair. Some of those were not built for permanent use. We intended to build some more later. And in 1927, 22 years ago last fall, uh, this is the 23rd year of the school, we opened. Uh, the first night, I think we had, the first week, I think we took leave, if I remember correctly, about 85 students. Uh, we got them where we could get them. We didn't check them very carefully. We just had to have somebody open. So we just advertised, opened the school, announced it, and they came. Uh, the first night, we had a revival. Uh, building was little chapel we had. The Lord told me we didn't have a regular chapel. We built that later. But we had a very nice room there. It hold, I imagine, uh, 150, 200 people. On that opening night, we had uh, 40 people that came forward out of about 85 uh, that never had been converted. Now, that gives you an idea of how we started. And that first night, if I remember correctly, every student that came there, unconverted, was converted. I didn't know much about education, but I had enough sense to know that you can't run a Christian college without Christian students. I can't underscore that or emphasize it too much. These schools that do not have Christian student bodies cannot have Christian education institutions. It takes a Christian student body to give you a Christian education institution. Now, we've known that all the time. I don't think that the faculty themselves have any more to do with the school, uh, whether it's to be Christian or pagan, than do the students in the institution. We know that. And I'd like to stop here long enough to lay it on the consciences of you students that you have a responsibility not only to the present student body, and to the present testimony of this institution, but uh, you have a responsibility to the students that are coming here, year by year, until Jesus Christ comes back again. We've never permitted students to remain in this school that weren't right. In fact, they can't stay here. We had only, as far as I know, one student who ever remained in the school a year that didn't profess to accept the Lord Jesus Christ if he came here unsaved. May God pity these institutions in this country that have drinking students and students that don't live right and students that have no regard for discipline and self-control and self-restraint. So we started off that way. We started right. Young people, there isn't anything in the world like getting a good start. If you're going to do something worthwhile, don't mess up the first chapter of the book. 
that first chapter right. Get on the right foundation. Start off right. We started right. And we made up our mind that we were going to keep it right. Now, we didn't have to have a school. I'm not boasting about it. When I started a school, I had the largest income, any advantage in America, except Billy Sunday. I had all the work I could do. There wasn't any selfish reason me to start a school. A man's crazy to go into the educational business for material reasons or selfish reasons. There isn't any job in the world more difficult than the job building a school. I didn't know it at the time, how difficult it was. I knew I had the job on my hand, but I didn't know what a big job we had. Well, we started off, and God blessed us. The first year, if I remember correctly, we matriculated about 135 students. And I think we shipped about 35 before the year was over. I think we did it. I thought one time it looked like they were going to have to send all of them home. But you know, in those days, we just met a problem when it came up. I remember one girl came down from Alabama, and she's down at school, and, and one day she came in and said, Dr. Bob, I'd like to go in town and spend the weekend, a little nearby town. I'd like to go spend the weekend with a certain girl. Well, I said, honey, you can't go. She said, why? I said, it's against the rules. She said, well, I didn't know anything about it. I said, but yes, it is. I made all the rules at that time to start with. I said, it's against the rules. You can't go. And uh, she said, well, uh, my father said I can go. Well, I said, uh, your father isn't in charge of you here. I'm boss here. You, you can't go. A little while, I had a, a telegram. She bought a telegram. My father said, this is giving you permission to go into a certain nearby town, spend the weekend with a certain girl. That girl was a student in school, but she's a type student about whom I had much concern. So I said, well, you can't go. I said, you can go home all right, but you can't go. I, I, as long as you're here, I have a responsibility. You just can't go. Well, uh, a little while, I uh, had a telephone call from the girl's father. He said, I have told my daughter that she can go and spend the weekend in a certain home in a certain nearby community, and I want you to let her go. I said, she can't go. She can come home, she can resign, but she can't go. Now, I said, listen a minute, who's in charge of my daughter? I said, I am, if she's here. Uh, I said, I, I have a responsibility, and I probably know things you don't know. And my first responsibility is to take care of your daughter. Listen. My first responsibility, I said, is not to educate your daughter. My first responsibility is to protect your daughter from influences that might be immoral and wreck her life. The first responsibility of a Christian institution is not education. The first responsibility of any education, any institution is Christian. The first responsibility is to protect the morals and spiritual welfare of the people. So I said she can't go. A little while he hung up the receiver, he's, he's a friend of mine too, by the way, hung up the receiver angry. Just a little while the father of the girl from a nearby community came in. He said, uh, I'm going to take so-and-so home with my daughter for the weekend. I said, no, you're not. You're not going to take her. You're not going to stand for her. Uh, she came, he said, well, this is a, used a profane word. I said, well, you can name it that if you want to, but we're running it. We told these folks up and down this country, if they sent their children to Bob Jones University, they could go to sleep at night and sleep in peace, and we'd take care of them. And we're going to take care of them. God helped us. And she's not going. And uh, he went on out May. All right. That weekend, in the home where this girl was to go, about the worst scandal that ever took place in Florida took place in that home. 
If that girl had gone to that home that weekend, she would have been branded and her reputation would have been smeared for life. We protected her. All right. The girl went, went home, never came back to school anymore. We wouldn't take her back from the scandal that came to the home. Then uh, Monday morning or Monday night, I called all the girls together. We had, uh, I had two nieces there. We got in the little room, just a handful of girls. And I said, now girls, uh, this child here wanted to go home with so-and-so for the weekend. You know what's happened. Everybody's talking about it all over the country. She wanted to go and I wouldn't let her. Now I told her to get to the rule. I made the rule while she was talking to her. I, I, I took care of her, wouldn't let her go. She was mad with me. Her daddy got mad with me. The father of the girl where she wanted to go got mad with me. And you folks thought I'd done wrong. Now I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to take care of you. You can't stay here in this school, in this institution, unless you're going to cooperate with long as long. And I said, now honey, where would you have been? And how would you have felt today? What would your reputation been worth today in this country if I hadn't protected? That girl came up, laid her head on my shoulder, and sobbed out her heart, and begged me to forgive her the way she felt. I was up in a distant city from here uh, a few years ago speaking. There was that girl in the service. Uh, she'd married a lovely man and had a little baby in her arms when she came up to speak to her. Now, we started off right. There isn't anything like starting right. If you get the wrong start, you're handicapped for life. So this school started right. Now, we made up our mind another thing. We made up our mind to start it right and to keep it right. Do you know it's hard to keep anything right? A piece of machinery, you have to watch it and keep it all and keep it right. A school can go to the devil in one year's time if you don't watch it. You can go on the rocks in your Christian faith and character if you don't stay on God. Then I remember the second year came. I think the second year, if I remember correctly, we matriculated around 200 students the second year. You know, I didn't know as much then as we know now. I wasn't wise about the matter. Somebody come to me and I was the evangelist and begged me to take his child. Uh, somebody said, take my daughter. She's going to the devil if you don't take her. And we take her, see. Because I was the evangelist and just said, well, we'll fix her. So a lot of them got the idea to start with and we run reformatory. Well, you know, if you take one bad boy from a community and enroll him in your school, and if you don't convert him, they think the school's no good. And if you do convert him, it ruins the school. Because he'd go home and every woman in 40 miles of that boy has got a bad boy and won't send hers down there. So you ruin if you convert him, you ruin if you don't convert him. You're hurt either way. So we discovered that when to the second year. And I began to get my eyes open in the second year. If I remember correctly the number, it's around 40. I think it's 43. We shipped 43 up. Now if you haven't got but about 200, you send 43 off at one time, that's some shipping. Uh, and... They look like they're all going. And uh, I, I got a little afraid, you know. And we nursed a few of them along the few first few years, just trying to keep them built up, build up, build up hope. Well, it went on in Florida. When we started the school down in Florida, we ran that six years. In the school down there, we had a, this nice little plant. Everybody's happy. Out of those years came some of the finest students we ever had. Uh, Mrs. Brown is one of our girls down there in Florida. Mr. Edwards of Florida started down there. Dr. Parker started down there. Uh, Clifford Lewis started down there. Marvin Lewis. Clifford's sister. And numbers of others whose names we could call started out in Florida. Oh, yes. Uh, Dean Riley started down there. I'm about to forget her. Uh, 
That doesn't mean she sold, but she started down there. Uh, that hasn't been so long ago, you know. <laughs> well, we drifted along, and that part of the second year, we had to clean out some of the faculty. They all signed the creed. They all said to believe the Bible. We had one preacher in the school. There's the most subtle modernist I've ever known. If that man is alive today and came on this platform now, he could convince me I'm wrong. You know what I'm saying? He's the most serpentine, charming, uh, powerful, uh, hypnotic personality in many ways I've ever known. That's the danger of that sort of person. Listen, the more personality a person has, the greater menace he is if he is right. We kept one person in our organization one time because he wouldn't do us any harm. He couldn't do us any good, but we said he'd never hurt us. Didn't have enough personality to hurt us. But that man had such a personality. Uh, people gathered around him, and he had the most wonderful wooing something about him I think I ever knew. And I soon discovered in the subtle way he was dropping his modernistic eyes. after he'd signed the creed. Well, I went to him two or three times. And last I said to him, now, listen, you're going. I promised these parents of these children, and I told the folks that put their money in Bob Jones College, we're going to keep it orthodox. And we are not going to surrender. So you just pack your clothes and get off this camp. I knew the price I was paid. Listen, that man left us and rallied the forces about him. Pious, talking, wonderful man. Gathered about him a great crowd. He had influence with church people and leaders. And he started the fires burning all around all the country. People got where they thought I was the most contemptible person you ever heard. That year we fired from our organization a certain fellow that wasn't straight financially. He didn't play square with us. We let him go. That's another character. So this fellow uh, went out in the world. I never told anybody. They said nobody can work with Bob Jones. He can't work with him. Look what he does. I went ahead and kept the faith. Awful lonely sometimes. Awfully discouraged. We fought it through. Listen, I'd like to say to you, lest I forget it later and don't get to it later. What happened to that man that we fired? Listen, that's the man that became the, uh, what's that special, make the wrath of men to praise. If we hadn't fired that preacher from Bob Jones College in Florida, we would have been in Florida now. Located out there where we were. That man's hatred and animosity and influence were the horses that God hitched to the chariot that pulled the school through the gate into the field of success after that. All right, when I hit down there, and, uh, when we started the school, we had the firm down in New York, a very fine group of business people, the head of the organization, wonderful man. They were going to set aside 25% of all the income of that development to build that school. They set it aside, went along time to time, and then the Depression came. Every bank in the county failed. All of the uh, people of that country went on the rock plane. Nothing had any value. That's the time when Roosevelt first was elected president and all the banks in this country closed. I remember being on the highway down there and had a, a little money in the bank and couldn't get it out uh, because the banks were all shut up. I bought a little gasoline on the credit on the highways. Those were days that you know nothing about and they were not anywhere on earth comparable to what they were in the state of Florida. We had $500,000 in, in good first mortgages. This man from the north said, now listen, we're pulling out of Florida. You're going to leave you here 
I said, you can't leave me here. You've got this contract. We told them what I was going to do. He said, well, if we stay, we're ruined. We'll transfer to you, your college $500,000 in first mortgages. And if you will accept those, then we'll turn around and take some bonds to help you complete your building with the understanding that you'll never ask you to pay for those bonds if you don't collect the mortgages. Uh, we appointed a committee. Governor Graves of Alabama was chair of that committee. Uh, Mr. McKenzie, a pioneer member of the board, whose daughter's in our factory now, was on that committee. And another man, I can't remember just who the third man was. I believe it was Mr. J.M. Sapp, a lawyer in Florida. They got together to work out the plan. They suggested we take the mortgages, we handle it that way, carry the thing through, with the understanding that those mortgages had never, if they weren't collected, that we'd never pay the bonds. Those mortgages went on record to, in the bankers, uh, in, with a group of three bankers that said they were worth 100 cents on the dollar. In two years' time, they weren't worth, those mortgages were not worth one penny. And financial ruin stared us in the face. The college owed some floating debts. The old man in New York that we dealt with was dead. The man that gave us a promise, and we couldn't find any record except the record of his word that we remembered. But there he was. Terrible disaster, terrible financial depression. The college owed some, some floating debts. Uh, we kept operating two years after this county where we were located. Couldn't pay interest on his bonds. We ran two years after every bank in the county failed. Kept our head above water till this crash came. Then the college owed some folding debts, and I had an insurance policy. New York Life. I'd set aside for old age to that Miss Jones had. It had $20,000 cash value. I cashed out that life insurance policy and went around and paid every floating debt the school owned. Then after a while, I said to the fellas down there, gentlemen, uh, the bondholders have a mortgage on this property. All the floating debts are paid. I don't own the property. Board of Trustees, this special committee recommends we turn it over to it. And we turned the property over to them. We were out of house and home. We had nothing. We looked around for something to do. We knew we had something. We wanted to move. We were down there in the woods. On one side was water, up south pine trees, nearby some of the loveliest friends any man ever had. They never wavered. The friends had stuck to us then, they stuck to us through the years. And the folks that were on the inside of the situation, Governor Graves, Mr. McKenzie, and other outstanding Christian men, lawyers, practical businessmen, Christian leaders that knew the story stood by us. I never shall forget, but I'd like to put this in the record. Mr. Raymond T. Crane, member board trustees, when this time came, uh, came around and said, I've got $3,000 left in some little funds. He's a Presbyterian elder up north. He said, I'll let you have it. Dr. Haight here came around, let us have some money to move. Turned over to us. We were out absolutely broke. We looked around about what to do, where to go. I was broke. Everything I had was gone. I'd sacrificed my last dollar in this effort uh, to keep the floating debts out of the way and get them paid to keep our heads above water. But we knew we had something. We knew that God Almighty was with us and we had an unbeatable proposition that we could keep. So uh, one day uh, we said we're going to move. Somebody said, we're going, we don't know, we're just going to move. There we were. Not only broke and out of money and all of our personal resources gone. And I never did own this school. If I owned this school, I'd be a rich man. The assets of this institution day, above all debts, you couldn't duplicate it for $7 million. I could own every bit of it. I could have been a millionaire seven times. I could own. Nobody ever asked. I don't own it anymore than you own it. You own as much as I own. Bob doesn't own it. Won't go to him when I'm dead. Won't go to his children when he's dead. So we said, 
we're going to move. We got looking around. Bob Jr. said, you know, Dad, I saw a piece of property between Chattanooga, Tennessee and Knoxville, Tennessee. A uh, beautiful old deserted piece of property. Uh, uh, a, a, a school up there. I said, yes, Bob. That's Cleveland. That's old Centenary College property. An old Methodist school. George Stewart built it years ago. His old father-in-law, Doc Sutherland, was president of that old school. I said, I'll be up in Chattanooga. I'll go back to see him. Went over there. And I found the Holston Methodist Conference and deserted the property. They couldn't run it. Gave it up as a hopeless case. Beautiful property right there in the heart of town. And so by this time, I had decided that we might let the school go to be 500 students. We might get that big. We said, uh, maybe we can stand it. I'd preached a sermon against big schools over the country. Had a special sermon. Awfully proud of it. And, uh, but, but I was convinced that we might pull up to 500 in Rome. So we went out there and looked it over. And, I went down to see a good old man in town, a fine businessman, Mr. Hardwick. Mr. Hardwick said, uh, they owe me, host and met this conference, owes me 70, I believe it's $66,000, that's what it was, $66,000. They owe me that much money. And he said, uh, uh, they haven't paid me any interest for several years, I can't even collect interest on it. I hate to sue the Methodist conference, we're up against it, I hate to sue them, but I, I like to get my money. And he's a pretty good old business fellow. So he said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll sell the college to you on a sales contract for $33,000. And he got the committee in the Holston Conference, Mr. Uh, Sweetwater Man, Fred Carter, one of our good friends, member of the board, died and gone to heaven. And so he got the school to board together. They let our board have it on the sales contract with the understanding that within, I think, two or three years, if we paid the $33,000, we'd get it. See? But it was a pretty smooth proposition. You know, they, that meant Mr. Hardy could have to get back his 33000 from the Holston Conference before the Holston Conference could give us a deed, see? And he told me, if I ever collect that in Holston Conference, and I get it, I'll give you $5,000. And I was interested in his collecting it because we were up against it. So uh, we started in there, and, and you know, the Lord blessed us. Chamber of Commerce fixed up the property. You folks remember, please, we couldn't have had a prettier place in the world. just wasn't big enough. So we bought everything inside. A uh, little while we had the money fixed up and, and went around to get a deed to the property. Couldn't get a deed because it still owed 33000 It looked pretty serious for a while, but they had some good faithful people and they gave us, they got the debt out of the way and fixed up Mr. Hardick. We got the deed. We were in Cleveland, Tennessee, 14 years in that property deserted by the Methodist Conference because they said it couldn't, they couldn't run it, couldn't keep it going, it's too big a burden. And we put up an average of one building a year. We bought everything we could buy in town. All the property around there. We had a wonderful reception in Tennessee. Department of Education, University of Tennessee. We ran the Christian men. It's wonderful how God has Christian men around. When we came to Tennessee, uh, we found that the governor was a fine man, friendly and cooperative. We found this commission of education, uh, not the first commissioner, but the one that came in right after we got there, a lovely man. He was the head of the Department of Education, University of Tennessee, a Baptist deacon, a born-again man. The president of the University of Tennessee was a Presbyterian elder. Uh, the registrar of the University of Tennessee is a wonderful Christian, still there, one of the best friends we have. So the Lord set the stage for us. The Lord always does it if you go in his way. By the way, I'd like to publicly right now express my appreciation. So many people right here, I'd like to have this go in the record. There are two names I'd like to mention. I thank everybody in South Carolina of all they've ever known. But there are two men prominent in politics in this state under whom we have great obligations. One is a congressman in this district, 
Congressman Joseph Bryce. He's a born-again Christian. He's clean. He's dry. He's up in Washington on the right side of issues. He stood by us in Washington in the day we got here. Then we moved in this state, and the governor of this state, who's a born-again Christian, Governor Thurman, a man of great courage and Christian conviction and moral conviction. They don't serve any liquor in, in the, his home down here in Columbia. And he stands for the right thing. He said to me, I'm interested in the testimony of this school, the fundamental emphasis you're giving. And he said, we're getting away from the fundamentals in this country, in politics. We're getting away from the fundamentals in religion, and we can't get away from the fundamentals. And he said, I'm interested in it. He's been our good friend. God gave us good friends locally, many of them around here. I can't call the names because I'd have to call so many, and I might forget some. But we started off here, and God blessed us. And in an unusual way, he's blessed us. In Cleveland, Tennessee, went along. We want to stay in Tennessee. We had everything there we wanted. Wasn't anything we needed we didn't have. We had friends. School was in good condition. Beautiful plant. We didn't owe anybody a cent of money. We had all that property paid for in $300,000 cash in the bank. Wasn't any place we could build. We couldn't buy a foot of land. There we were. There we were. Patch a little here, patch a little there. One day the Church of God said, we'll buy the property. And by the way, the Church of God, we had a lovely time with them over there. They're good people. They're interested in doing everything they can for our folks. And they're interested in culture. And we tried to cooperate with the Church of God in Cleveland. They cooperated with us. So they bought the property. And there we were out of house and home. Uh, we came over here and looked around many places. So many doors open. I can't just... I'm going so fast. I'm not giving you order by order what I like to say to you. I'm skipping so many things. But I remember over there, uh, we, we didn't know what to do. We were over there after we had open doors to many places. Say, by the way, I'd like to write this in the record. Everywhere we had an invitation to go, there was some preacher that opposed it. The only people that opposed Bob Jones uh, College when it was moving were preachers. Not all of them. I'd like to have you remember that. The businessmen were for us. One man in, uh, lives in South Carolina uh, told a friend of mine not long ago, he said, I listened to my preacher and got the wrong idea about Bob Jones College when he came over. Well, there we were. We didn't know what to do. We had an opportunity to go to New England. Had an opportunity to go out to Kansas City. Had an opportunity, two opportunities in Georgia. I, I rather wanted to go to Georgia. I like that state. Had two opportunities, wonderful opportunities in Georgia. Numbers and numbers of places. We had several open doors in Tennessee. At last, we decided to locate right near Knoxville. There was 300 acres of land. We could be bought for $100,000. And this three hundred acres land could be bought for $100,000. Uh, we had one man said, I'll give you $100,000 if you stay in Tennessee. Pay the whole thing. 300 acres, beautiful land. I went around to see the university, talked to the dean and the other members of the faculty who were our friends. They said, stay here. We'll work with you every way possible. You'll have no problems here. You're not a member of any association. We know how you stand. We know what you believe. And we are for you. We are sympathetic. We'll help you. We'll stand by you. You stay here. And I was in an office signing a proposition to stay in Tennessee and take that land. Signing an option. The day I had a telephone call in this place. The man that called me was our friend Mr. Stone, Father Martha. Martha went to our school in Tennessee. And Mr. Stone, I think, was the first man that suggested to Secretary of Chamber of Commerce. They said, don't do anything over there till you come over here. And they sent a plane over and brought us over here. Chamber of Commerce had a bandit. And they said, eh, whatever we tell you we're going to do, we'll do. And one man that's dead said, we won't uh, promise you what we're not going to do unless don't say anything we won't do. And when we send a committee back or send them what we do, we'll do. 
They sent a committee over there and said they'd do what we, uh, what we discussed, what we told them we'd have to have. So we came here. Here we are now in the middle of the greatest educational miracle you ever saw. Listen, there's no human explanation. Young people, let me say, and if I'm dead and gone, if Jesus Christ tarries, I'd like for this to be my testimony. I'd like for someday, if the Lord tarries, this record's put here before your children and your grandchildren. And I want this to be my testimony. To God Almighty be the glory. I couldn't have done it. No human could have wrought what's been wrought here. There's never been anything like in the world. It could not have been accomplished by any genius of any man. It could not have been done. It's no easy task to build a school. We had no Baptist convention back of us. We had no Methodist conference back of us. We had, no, uh, we had nobody to help us except Almighty God and praying Christian brain. And in 13 months, this plant was put up here. Mr. R.K. Johnson was here. Uh, came over from Cleveland, Tennessee, Mills for years. By the way, I'd like to express my appreciation, have a record made of it, to those that have been associated with us, these executives and faithful, loyal, uh, cooperating friends, most of them members of our factory. And I'd like to put in a record here, in this record now that's being made yonder in the studios. I'd like to have this thing. You know, I've made most of the noise. But I remember when the school started down in Florida, uh, I saw Professor Stark in Montgomery, Alabama. He ran a military school, as where Bob went. And I said, Professor Stark, I want to tell you I don't know a thing about education. I've started a school down there. Well, he said, it's, Bob's down there, isn't he? I said, yes. Bob's in last year in high school. He finished high school there and then finished his college work in three years. I said, Bob's in high school down there. Well, he said, now listen, Bob went to my military school. Now, I said, I observed him. You can depend upon him. And you can rely on what he tells you. He said he has judgment. If you don't know what to do, ask Bob. And I want you students to know that, that I, it may not sound quite the thing for a father to say, but I'm writing a record, and I'd like to put it in it. I'd like for you to know that, that many, many, many things connected with this school are uh, here now and have been here from the beginning uh, because Bob suggested them. And many of these things that you see, these cultural touches here, were his touches. And many of the practical things that we put through here came because Bob suggested. I was away in evangelistic work, had the vision of the thing as a whole. But many of these details here, I deserve absolutely no credit for. We've had good friends, good cooperators, and good students. We owe much to the students. We owe much to the students in those early days. Listen, I know over debt. This school does to fellows like Clifford Lewis and Dr. Monroe Parker and the preachers in those early days. Young preachers that went out and led people of Jesus Christ and turned them to this school. This school could never have existed if it had not had the loyal support and cooperation of our students. But they did it under God. And our friends have stood by us through the years. And I remember in those hard struggling days when we had no money, when we were up against the most terrible difficulties imaginable. God had raised up somebody to help us. Students had stood by us. And I'm going to spend a good deal of my time in eternity thanking these students and their friends and the faculty. I'd like to pay one word of tribute uh, to Mrs. Moloch of Tennessee, who sleeps the sleep of death in that cemetery, but who's absent from the body and present with the Lord. Miss Hutto, she was then, Eunice Hutto, 
was dean of the school. I didn't want a woman dean. But she had the most remarkable mind in many ways I've ever known. And she standardized this work uh, with the music and the speech and the art and all liberal arts courses. Back there when educators tried to discourage us. I'm obligated to all of them. I want to thank you students here now. The best students we have in this school have been brought here by other students. They know the school and they know the students. I had a letter uh, from my good friend, Dr. Oswald Smith, up in Toronto yesterday. He said, I have six students in my church. Young people want to come to Bob Jones University next fall. And I want to know if you'll take them. I wrote him and said, we'll take anybody that you say take as long as you say they're all right if they measure up to the academic standards. And these friends have stood by us. This institution has many, many, many thousands of friends the world knows nothing about. But I thank all of them. But I'd like to say to God be the glory. You are sitting today in the middle of a miracle. This auditorium's a miracle. This plant's a miracle. The fact that this school has never been stopped by all the opposition a miracle. The fact that it's been able to sustain its conviction, never compromise its conviction, not even join an educational association because of our administrative policies that we might have to change. In spite of all that, in spite of the modernists, in spite of religious political bosses, in spite of the war prejudices of ecclesiastical leaders that are not, who are against us from prejudice and not from moral conviction, in spite of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Here we are. You can't explain except you look up to heaven. God Almighty is the explanation of the unparalleled growth of this school that 22 years ago started with 85. And this year matriculates 3,000 students from all parts of the world. Surely, goodness and mercy have followed us up to this time. And let me tell you something, if this school keeps what it has, if it will not surrender, if it will not compromise, if it will not fall down to the false idols of our age, if this school will not surrender, if the United States government of the world holds together, the devil and all of his army cannot mount enough guns on the battlement of hell to stop us, if God be for us, who can be against us? And I'm calling you students and the students that will follow you in the years to come to a faithful, loyal, uncompromising conviction for the things which this institution say. This school's right. It's on God's side and God's on the side of the school. The principles are right. The doctrines are right. The discipline's right. The rules are right. The purposes are right. And God Almighty is on the side of the earth. And we love him. Jesus Christ can have anything I've got. He's dearer to me than the memory of mother and more precious than all the human ties I've ever had. If this is his school, let's keep it his school. And don't you surrender. And as the years pile up, as they will pile up more rapidly, imagine. More and more you're going to realize that we're right. I had a letter yesterday from a girl that sent us $50 for our student loan down the phone. Said, I was just there one semester, but it just did everything for me. And I've got a little baby, six weeks old. 
And she didn't say it in these words, but what she meant was, keep it like it is. I'm looking to you folks to help us keep it like it is. You've got something. Don't surrender it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the story of this school, for the leadership of God's Spirit, for the progress, for the blessings of God. We thank thee for these students, this faculty, these executives, for the praying friends around the world. We thank thee that this school raised an issue that men had to face, and they're facing it still. We thank thee that revivals are breaking out. And the world may not know, but God knows how much this school had to do with those movements. God knows how we've kept the fires burning. When there were a few evangelistic fires this country, how we sent our leaders out around the world to win the lost to Jesus Christ. Keep us faithful and true until the work's done. And may we all so live and so work and be so faithful that when we meet our Lord, he'll put his nail-pierced hand upon our shoulders that may be tired from the weary journey and may say to us with those lips of his, with a voice that's different from all other voices, may say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's all the reward and the pay and the salary and the honor for which we can pray and which we desire. And we pray this prayer in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.